have everybody come in and take a seat. Okay, so um, last week we moved beyond Solomon speaking about the futility of everything and actually saw him commend something for the first time as being good and enjoyable. Um, he did not uh, refute his previous claims that there's futility in the pleasure, possessions, and, and even wisdom, um, as, and as he called it, vanity. In our text today, we'll find two more commendations, which will be, begin with, I know that there is nothing better. Um, so I'm going to go ahead, uh, I know last, last, maybe last couple weeks, I didn't read it all first, but I think we're probably going to go through about 11 verses, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. And then we'll uh, pray, and, and we'll, we'll get into it. So, uh, sorry, we're in Ecclesiastes. I was getting there. Ecclesiastes 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Ecclesiastes 3.12. He says, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labors. It is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There's nothing to add to it, and there's nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. That which is has been already, and that which will be has already been, for God seeks what has passed by. Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man. For a time for every matter and for every deed is there. I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has truly has surely tested them in order for them, in order for them to see that they are but, but beasts. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beast, for all is vanity. All go to the same place, all came from the dust, and all return to the dust. Who knows that the breath of man ascends upward and the breath, of the breath of the beast descends downward to the earth? I have seen that nothing is better than that man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for um, this opportunity to look into your word. I thank you for each one here. Lord, we just ask that you would be... Um, speaking to us, that you would be directing, that you would give your wisdom, your understanding, um, enlighten our hearts, we pray, and help us to be uh, submitted and just prepared to hear from what you have to say, and um, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, so I'm going to just re remind you that as we're reading through this passage, it obviously, you know, we, we started in chapter 3, we were Ended, ended chapter 2 and started into chapter 3 last week. Um, so as we look at this this week, it's good to keep in mind that this chapter started with Solomon speaking of time. And I really believe that's the backdrop. That's, that's something to keep in mind as we're looking through this, that he's talking about time. So um, again, I'll read verses 12 and 13. I know there, that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. So he starts out um, 
I know that there's nothing better. And he says that actually three times in, the, in a fairly short amount of space here. So first one is back in chapter 2, verse 24. He says, there's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. And then at the end of this chapter, the very last verse, I've seen that nothing is better than that man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot. So as soon as you say something, there's nothing better, it's kind of an emphatic, definite kind of a statement. And I'm going, well, how can you say three times in a row, nothing is better? And then it, I started looking back at it and said, well, he really is saying the same thing three times over. Um, they all say pretty much the same thing. Um, and it comes down to there's nothing better for them than to have joy, to rejoice, to um, find purpose in their labor. So that's what, he's, that's what he's getting at. He's saying at this point at least that there's nothing better than that. So who is the they or them and you can just look to verse 10 to see um, back there. He said, I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men uh, with which to occupy themselves. So he's talking about men. He's talking about us. Um, and uh, so, and I, I kind of answered this already, but, but just what is Solomon telling us to rejoice in? What's he telling us to find joy and contentment in? In, in this world. Okay, our labors, the things we do. Um, will everything we labor at and do bring contentment and satisfaction? What's that? Okay. Has everyone, can everyone in this room say, everything I've done has brought me satisfaction and contentment and peace? No. Clearly not. So what's required to be able to tell ourselves that our labor and our, is good and our activity goes back to, again, chapter 12, the second to the last verse of the book. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments this, because this applies to every person. Um, so that's, that's kind of the root of it that we can do things and get frustrated and feel like we're spinning our wheels. Um, but if we are doing it unto the Lord, um, that, that makes a significant difference. Um, so let me ask you this. Why do you do the work that you do? Or if you're retired, the work that you did. Your occupation, why do you do that? Okay. Yep. Pay the bills. Got to do something. Yes, sir. Yeah, to provide the basics of life. Okay. Um, so it can be just for a paycheck. It can also be sometimes people are working um, because it makes people like you. You get approval if you're doing things. If you're doing the right things and doing them well, you get some strokes for that. 
for some of us as men, you might hear your dad's voice in your head saying, you better, you know, don't be lazy, don't disappoint me, those kind of things. Um, so why do you do the other things you do? Not just vocationally, but what motivates the things that we do? And I want you to be honest, I'm not just talking about, you know, Sunday school answers and we know the right thing to say, but what truly motivates a lot of what we do? Uh, yep, our own pleasure. Jake, you got to leave, sorry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Porter? Yeah, I will say that. Go ahead. No, no. Heather was talking this morning about this a lady she knows from years past who's a veterinarian, and she took our, you know, our puppy over there to get his last shots, and the lady was like, well, he's not very well uh, socialized. You know, you need to get him out more, and I take my dogs to this and that, and Heather's going, um, your kids are all out of the house, and you're not homeschooling. My dogs are in the backyard, and they're, they're very well socialized for us, you know. <laughs> Um, what I was going to say is, uh, off of Porter's uh, comment, was, you know, my dad is 80 years old, and he's still drawing house plans and things. He's slowed down a lot, but he loves, he's always loved what he did. Um, and he, was, he would tell my brother and I, you know, I really hope you find that thing. Well, we're not, I'm not wired the same as he is, and I've done a lot of different things, and um, I don't, can't say that I haven't, you know, some things obviously enjoy more than others, but... Um, I'm, I'm sure I've told this story before. There's a, when I was growing up, there was a guy, we lived in Arlington, and there was a guy who worked at the uh, General Motors plant. He was a dad of a friend down the street from me, and for like 30 years, he put in the left front window glass of cars rolling down the, down the assembly line. I could never do that. I'm not wired for that. But he was like, I do this, I go home, I don't take anything home with me. You know, you, if that's what you're doing all day, you're not taking work home with you. Um, and he, you know, was able to coach his kids, you know, baseball teams, football teams, you know. He was able to spend time, like you're talking about, with his family, you know. 
um, and doing the things that he wanted to do. So we're all wired differently, but you know, what's the motivation for what we do? I know there was a dentist here in town that you know, became a dentist and probably because you know, the money was gonna be good and things like that, he hated it. He hated his job you know, and retired as quickly as he could. You know, so um, work is an interesting thing. And, and the things that we do, what, what motivates us um, and our decisions? It's an interesting question. And it's not something we can sit here and necessarily get to the bottom of, but it's something to think about some. What, do we, what motivates us? Yeah. Okay. And one was, um, one was being able to provide, you know, for sure. what I wanted. Clearly, you know, yeah. Not necessarily what I needed, but what I wanted, okay. right? Okay. So, so I needed to get paid a certain amount of money. Right. But the second was a sense of respect for the people with whom I worked. Right. And that they respected me. Right. A lot of that is wrapped up in people. Right. And who you want to think, how you want to think about yourself. Right. 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 That I needed if I if I went in every day and I felt like I was shoveling a pile from over here to over there and then go in the next day and shovel it back, I didn't feel like I could continue and get paid a lot of money. Right. I couldn't continue doing that forever. Yep. I, I have found that I can do certain things and get accomplishment out of just the doing of them. Right. You know, like like digging a ditch or mowing sure. grass or stuff like that. Yeah. But um but I think all three of those Yeah, because there's there's certain things I could do that I could pay somebody minimum wage, whatever, yeah. you know, ten bucks an hour to come dig a hole for me. Yeah. And but I can, you know, that sometimes will bring me satisfaction if I'm doing that at my place and I see the the results of it. Um, there was something else I was gonna say and I've forgotten now what it was, but that frustrates me because what if it's not done the way you the way you wanted to. Done, right. Then it's like I paid and right. Yeah. yeah. Gwen? Right. And that is that I'm trying to figure out just how wide opportunities get spiked in my life. Right. Right. But it is an education to me. Yeah. And I would say that I resemble that remark. I, I I've done a lot of different things in my life, you know, and and you and same thing. And I've been telling my boys lately, because I've got two boys that are 18, about to graduate, you know, and it's like, what do you, you know, uh, all this pressure. It's like there's no, no need for pressure. Do the next thing, which I'll, I'm going to use that one. Um, as you're doing whatever it is, because you go, well, I'm going to, I've got this plan. I'm going to get through college. I'm going to do these things, whatever, it, whatever it is, or I'm not going to do college. I'm going to, you know. As you're doing things, as you're going through life, oftentimes those are the things the Lord uses to direct us and say, "Here's a path. How about this?" And you go, "I never would have thought of that," you know. Um, so, anyway, yeah. My husband will get that out. I want to be focused on working too. Right. I just got out of that. Retirement. I think God placed that on my heart. 
Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 You go. I was ready to get out of that, and then you're back in it. It's like that's that's what the Lord has for you in in these things. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And isn't that what Solomon's been saying? You know, he talked about all the stuff he had done, all the stuff he's accomplished, all the wealth he's amassed, all these different things. And at one point he said, and I think it was back in chapter 2, talking about how, you know, when I labored, and this is kind of what Kevin was getting at, when I labored, you know, I saw the fruits of my labor in the moment. I saw, you know, that's kind of that day-to-day sort of a thing. There was, there was some joy in that. There was some feeling of accomplishment, things like that. When he looked at the whole thing, and this is what we're coming to, I think, and we'll, we're going to keep <laughs> moving through here, but talking about time and how, um, I'll, give a, I'll give away a little bit that we're going to talk about, but I think when he's talking about, because Heather brought up the question last week about, well, what's the difference between under heaven and under the sun? And, um, you know, I think, that, I think that under the sun has to do with that cyclical, and I think that's what he's frustrated with, is the fact that things just keep, everything goes on the same. And I'm going to do all this work, and then somebody else is going to come take it. And, I mean, Think about the rise and fall of civilizations, of governments, of these different things, and how you know, things are built up, and there's all this amazing stuff, and then things come, and it gets either wiped out by war or you know, weather, or you know, there's all, and it's just like this, and he's just like, this is wearisome. This is, you know, this is really tiring, seeing the cyclical nature of things. Let's move on. <laughs> Verse 14 and 15. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it, and there is nothing to take from it, for God has so worked that men should fear him. That which is has been already, and that which will be has already been, for God seeks what has passed by. How does knowing that everything God does will last forever, and that he can't add, and that we can't add or take anything from that, um, from what he does, cause you to fear him? Knowing these things about him, how does that cause you to fear him? Yeah. Right. I mean, you, it, consider yourself as that lump of clay in somebody's hand. Would you be a little fearful? Yeah. Because they can do whatever they want with you, right? God can do whatever he wants. Yes. Right. But it doesn't mean that it's not painful at times. You know? Because that, that, that lump of clay may be about to made in, be made into something beautiful, but it's not easy. Right? 
Right, it's gotta be, it's gotta be molded and mushed and smushed and all those kind of things. Um, yeah, he holds everything. He has control over everything in our lives. Um, does that negate free will? I don't understand it, but I am confident that free will is still possible. We still muck it up, yeah, sure. And, and, and I think that's probably evidence of free will better than anything, right? Um, I, w- I won't go down that road any further. So um, let's see. Verse 15 seems to speak of the cyclical nature of time. As he already said, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, The past has already been, and whatever comes in the future will just be a repeat of the past. So I think that's that cyclical nature that he's talking about. Um, And then he's got that last statement. What in the world does that mean? Does anybody want to try to explain that one? God seeks what has passed by. You can try it. I can tell you that there's a lot of theologians that don't agree. So uh, we, can, we can knock that one around all we want. Um, I'll do, I'm going to, I've probably thought about it more than the rest. Yeah. Say that again. So that be, recognize you can't you can't destroy matter. Right. You can't destroy what God has has made. Right. What God has put in place. Right. Right. I gotcha. Um, yeah. So we're talking about verse fifteen. Yes. However, God seeks to be pursued. Okay. In my translation, it says, seeks justice for the persecuted. But, but when I read the, the, the words themselves, it didn't look like that's what it was. Yeah, I don't think that. And so, um, and that would make sense to me that God seeks to be pursued. Right. Because it relates back to um, verse, uh, verse 14 that says, I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Right. right? So it seems like God's constantly revealing himself. Yeah. Because he wants us to be aware of him and to see his and to be in awe of him and to praise him and to see what he's doing. Right. Not so focused on what we're doing. Right. You know? So that kind of made sense to me, but I haven't seen any other translations that word it that way. But right. the word that says um, seeks Right. Yeah. I looked at a lot of different versions this week, and I don't know that anybody nails it, but I um, here's here's kind of where I came, and it's on a similar. It's probably kind of the flip side of the coin of what you're saying. Um, so I think it's saying something like this: There's nothing new. Even what is to come will just be a repeat of what already has taken place. But God will pe- hold people accountable nonetheless. So even though 
you go, well, it's just this big cycle and you know, it's just repeating itself. How can I be accountable for what's just gonna keep happening? We are accountable because we do have free will. Um, and so there's, I, again, there's a lot of different opinions on what that actually means. Um, I'll read you what, uh, this is what Wearsby had to say in his, in his commentary. He said the, the, if you, if you um, translate the words literally, God seeks what hurries along. That helps a lot. <laughs> God seeks what hurries along. Solomon seems to say that time goes by swiftly and gets away from us, but God keeps track of it and will, at the end of time, call into account what we have done with time. So that's kind of that same thing. Um, I don't think it's real clear, so I'm not going to be real adamant about this. Penny? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that word that what is past, the word is actually Rebath, Rabath is the Greek word. And it means to be behind, follow after, pursue, persecute, or run after. So it's what's past or what's and yeah. that's where I think it's it really means what is what is pursued. That that God seeks to be pursued. That's right. what I thought of that. Yeah. Brian? Right. Right. I mean, we've got this, if nothing else, and, and those who say, well, we're just a New Testament church, well, you're missing out on seeing a lot of how the, you know, this, is, this shows how the Lord works in history. Um, and all the stupid mistakes that people make, that we continue to make, um, you know, so, yeah, we have a lot of accountability. And, yes, we should be, you know, he wants to be known. He wants us to seek him. He wants to be sought after. Those are both true. So I, you know, um, again, exactly what Solomon went, meant when he wrote it down, I don't know. Um, I do think as the, we're going to continue on, and um, I think there's some justification for, for what I'm arguing, but you can decide. So verse 16. Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man, for a time for every matter and for every deed is there. 
So here again, we see that God will hold, uh, hold men accountable for their deeds. So here's the part where um, Heather's going to give us what she studied this week about. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, nope. <laughs> um, so it, there was this question that, you know, Solomon oftentimes says under the sun. He talks about under the sun, but as I count it, there's three places where he says, under heaven. Um, so did anyone else spend some time? I'm guessing you did. Nope. Anybody else spend some time on that question? All right. Well, I wasn't really going to, but I found that it really did tie in, so I did. Um, so my initial is I was just kind of thinking about it through the week, because I did think about it. My wife says, think, I do think about what she says, so um, I, don't, I don't ignore her. Yeah, um, so I thought maybe it had something to do with time because you think about the sun, you know, and how, how we mark days by the passing of the sun and even sundials and all those things, so I don't think so. Um, I do think there's a time element to it, though. Um, I'm starting to think that under the sun, as I mentioned earlier, may be tied to this idea of the cyclical, cyclical nature of time, uh, this thing that we live in and would like to escape, but we are incapable of getting away from time. You know, time, we are so tied to it. We want to believe that we can escape it, but we can't. So I will try to bring you along on the journey through my mind to see how I see this. Um, so verse 16 speaks of wickedness being in places it doesn't belong, right? In the place of justice and in the place of righteousness, there should not be wickedness. Did Solomon say there is a time for every event under heaven or under the sun? Under heaven. So we're going to look at those again. So I want to go back through. Uh, we'll start up at verse 2 again. Um, but before we do that, let me ask you this. Is there anything commendable in wickedness? There's nothing commendable in wickedness. I mean, if you can think of it. Right. Okay. Oh, yes. Yes. Right. But, but does he ever glorify w wickedness? He is glorified through the, you know, like Heather's saying, the, the opposite of wickedness, perhaps. But, okay. Don't try to undermine my argument here. <laughs> All right. So... As we go through these, he talks about all these things. There's a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Generally good. What about a time to die? That's good too. Why? Right. Heather and I were talking about this on the way. She, she brought it up. I didn't. It was funny how the Lord brings things to our minds, but... But we were talking about the fact that, you know, she was saying, can you imagine what it would have been like to live 900 years and all that you could have learned and all that you would have done, but then you immediately think, yeah, and what did they do with it? They discovered new ways of wickedness, and, and God brought the flood because that's what they were doing with their long life. It wasn't that they were getting better and better and better. So God says, you know, the way I've always read it is God saying, 
I'm tired of dealing with man for this long, so I'm going to you know, make his lifespan 120 years. Is that God being merciful to himself or being merciful to us? Yeah, yeah. Israel. Yeah. And live a hell on earth. Yeah, because he would be stuck in his sin forever. Is that a good thing? No. So, yes, dying, while it came about because of sin, is a good thing that we're not stuck in our sin. And God does, and uh, I've forgotten where it is, but, um, you know, how beautiful in the sight of the Lord is, is the death of his saints. So it's not all bad. Um, a time to plant. Is, there, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. What about uprooting what is planted? Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Same thing with planting, because what's the Jesus parable about they went and they sowed the tares in with the wheat? So those could be good or bad, both of those things, right? You could go uproot somebody's harvest, and that would be bad if it's not ready. Yeah, and I mean, you're not going to get your potatoes if you don't uproot them, right? So um, a time to kill and a time to heal. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And again, it, it's, you know, why did God sometimes have them go in and wipe these people out? They were completely reprobate. They were, there was no hope. And he's like, it's that same question. Is it better to leave them alive on the earth? That's God's judgment, not my judgment. But it was, that was God's judgment on that. Um, so a time to tear down and a time to build up. Yes, sometimes it's good to tear down. Sometimes it's good to build up. Um, a time to weep and a time to laugh. Are there times when it's good to weep? You, I, I guarantee you, if you get your eye full of sawdust or something, you're really grateful for tears. That may not be quite the same as weeping, but um, you're really glad that you have those tear ducts. Um, and is laughter always good? Is it good to laugh at somebody else's misfortune? Obviously not. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Good and bad. Time to throw stones, a time to gather stones. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. We can think of situations where it's good or it's bad. Is it always good to embrace? Is it always good to shun embracing? Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Um, it's time to search and it's time to give up as lost. It's time to keep, it's time to throw away, time to tear apart, it's time to sew together, time to be silent, time to speak, time to love, a time to hate, time for war, and a time for peace. I think we've already covered the time for war thing, and God said sometimes, go and wipe these people out. So, where am I in my notes? That's the question. So, what's that? So, there is an appropriate time for every good thing. Even though some of them are hard things, there is a time for every good thing. But there is no appropriate time for wickedness. Right? We, we, yeah, we go, yes, wickedness does bring about things, but, but does God ever say, go be wicked, you know? Mm -mm. Um, 
There's no appropriate time for wickedness. Where does wickedness occur? Under the sun, among men. So, and so verse 17 says, God will judge. He will judge the righteous and the wicked because he has provided the time for every good thing under heaven. He has provided us time to do every good thing. Does that make sense? I believe under heaven refers to the realities we deal with in our lives, which are not of themselves good or bad. It's like they are beyond categorizing. They're just realities that we deal with. They're more or less inescapable. They just are. These are things we deal with. They're not intrinsically, intrinsically good or evil. Any one of them could at one moment be something worthy of God's judgment, but then in the next event could be um, something he would approve of. So of themselves, they're not wicked or not. So I don't, I don't believe that under heaven assumes sinlessness. I believe it acknowledges that we live in a world of sin, but these things will take place in this world. They will affect us, and we will always have a choice. How will we react to them? And then I believe what Solomon, Solomon is describing under the sun are the activities which we tend to choose to engage in, which may be of no real value, or they have no lasting value. So when we see him talking about things that are done under the sun, it's, this, it's all part of this cyclical nature of the world. Um, does any of that make sense? Good, because I was just reading it, and I'm going, I don't remember what I wrote down. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. 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 Did I see another hand back there? Right. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe. Um, so what kinds of activities does Solomon condemn throughout the book? So far. I mean, we're three chapters into it, but. He condemns toiling in order to get more stuff he, um, or to get ahead of the next guy or so that we feel better about ourselves or like a hundred other reasons. He, he condemns suppressing justice because we think we will somehow gain from it, amassing wealth or wisdom which he, we can't take with us, pleasure-seeking, thrill-seeking, having more wives, husbands, children, toys, whatever. It's all vanity and chasing after the wind. And those are the things I think he's describing as the things that we do under the sun. 
So what kind of activities are encouraged? He encourages to be, to be at peace with the activities we do. Being at peace based on the labor you perform, being able to enjoy what you've worked for, being grateful and enjoying what God has given. And God will judge us for, for the, how we spend the time he gives us on this earth. How we spend our time makes a difference. Any other comments on that before we... Maybe we ought to just talk about comments because I don't think we're going to get <laughs> much further. I didn't realize how late it was. Um, let, we'll go ahead and go. Um, let's read 18, 18 through 21. We may actually have to finish the very last verse next week. I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beast, for all is vanity. All go to the same place, all came from the dust, and all return to the dust. Who knows that the breath of man ascends upward, and the breath of the beast ascends downward to the earth? So what's the difference between men and beasts, or animals, mammals in particular? Okay. Right. I, I, still, I still would argue that I think he does, but yeah. yeah. You could make the argument, probably. Um, so what's the big difference between a man and a, and a dog or a bear or whatever? Okay. We're made in the image of God. No other creature can claim that, right? Right. And people can live with purpose or intention, right? We can. Or we can live simply to satisfy our sinful base desires, basically by instinct, which is what animals do. Um, their of course, their, their instinct has been tainted by our sin. So if it weren't for sin, would they, you know, would everybody be uh, herbivores? I don't know. We can talk about that one later. Not getting into that one now. Why did I bring that up? Um, so animals only have instinct to go on, um, which is also tainted by sin. When it says God tests men, it is to see what a man is made of. What is he truly like? Is he God's man or is he a man of the flesh? It's interesting that so much of our world would agree with Solomon when he says there's no difference between, between man and animals. Our, our world would go, yes, right, exactly. But I believe Solomon is making a point about people like that. They are proving themselves to be fools by claiming there's no difference. Um, and in regards to verse 21, can we know with certainty, can we provide empirical data that people have a soul, that they will be judged and remain uh, for eternity while animals do not? Can we, can we show somebody, say, here, see this? See, here's the, here's the evidence. I read a long time ago, uh, 25 years ago, uh, Jim, Doc, <coughs> uh, Jim, he was a 
Right. Right. Okay. That's interesting. A lot of people would still be like, well, that's not good enough for me, obviously. Um, but, you know, certainly in Solomon's day, could they say, you know, clearly, uh, you know, one, one versus the other. No, there's no, there's no, you can't look and say, clearly this is, there's a difference um, just based on the outward proof. Um, all right, I'm going to go ahead and stop. It's tempting to finish that up, but, but we'll finish that next week. So, all right. Uh, Kevin, would you pray for us? Thank you.